Welcome to the A Vibrant Vision podcast. This podcast will explore the book A Vibrant Vision, written by Richard Seaman, the chairman of Seaman Corporation. Seaman Corporation is a worldwide company known for industrial fabrics. This podcast will be an asset on the way to understanding all the book has to offer, and you will get to hear from Richard and the supporting players that have made Seaman Corp what it is today. I am your host for this episode, Crystal Ribble. Seaman Corporation saw the importance of professionalizing their governance process when their founder passed away in 1978. What Norm had done up to that point was great, but if they were going to reach new levels, the governance process of everything from the board of directors to the management had to have an overhaul. This episode will explore what governance has looked like for Seaman Corporation and how it has changed over the years. We hope this episode will inspire you to take a good look at your own governance process and potentially see the importance of a fresh approach. Theodore Roosevelt once said, The best executive is the one who has sense enough to pick good men to do what he wants done and self-restraint to keep from meddling with them while they do it. Seaman Corporation has a storied path about their journey to surrounding their company with this type of governance. Richard Seaman, the chairman of Seaman Corporation, tells us all about his family company's evolution into the governance processes they have today. When I graduated in 1968 from Bowling Green State University, I started to work full-time in the company. I was officially hired as a plant manager. However, my father put me on the board of directors right away. At the time, that board consisted of my father, our sales manager, and our attorney. I was the fourth member. The way the governance process worked was that my father would hold a board meeting annually to comply with corporate regulations, or he would call a board meeting whenever he wanted to make a significant capital investment. That's the way we operated for the next 10 years while he was still alive. When he passed away in 1978, we replaced his position with my mother. We did that because she was still actively involved in the business and should continue to play an active role in the governance process. As time went on, I thought we should professionalize our board a bit more. Even though we were still insiders, we began to hold meetings on a more regular schedule. I scheduled them every quarter and we had a more formalized agenda. When our sales manager passed away within a couple years of my father's death, I replaced him with another sales rep from the West Coast that had a long history with our company. This group of four insiders brought a historical perspective to the company, and that was a very good value at the time. A few years later, we started experiencing some typical family business issues within the family. These were further aggravated by the fact that all of my family, my brothers and sisters, and my mother lived in Florida, and I was running the business from Ohio. About this time, I was introduced to Don Noble, the CEO of Rubbermaid at the time. I thought we could further professionalize our board by emulating that of a public company. Don provided me with a great deal of insight about the Rubbermaid Public Board of Directors. He also took an interest in our company as a family business and introduced me to a consultant, Leon Danko, who was a family business guru at the time. Leon lived in Cleveland, only 70 miles from us. I had several conversations with Leon and decided to engage him as a family business consultant for us. 
Given his consultant fee and the size of our company, this seemed a bit extravagant. However, it turned out to be a great investment. The first thing that Leon Danko did was to help me and my family realize the issues we were experiencing as a family business were not unique to our family. From his experience as a family business consultant, he saw these issues in virtually every family business just portrayed a bit differently. Leon and I had many conversations focused on building an outside board of directors. His input and experiences were not only valuable to me, but equally so for my family as he stressed the importance of an outside board of directors. This came at a crucial time when the typical expectation for increasing the size of the board of directors would be to add my brothers and sisters to the board. While they might have felt entitled, Leon was able to convince them that it would not be in the interest of the company but also would not be in their personal interest to be on the board. This thoughtful consulting advice allowed me to start building an outside board of directors, a concept that was then also accepted by my brothers and sisters. From there, I was able to begin to clarify the role of family ownership, the role of governance, and the role of management. Part of our family business issues at the time were that my brothers and sisters continued to view the business through the eyes of my father and did not appreciate the separation of these roles. The nature of our business was changing. As we were growing, we were bringing in more experienced and professional managers. For example, as mentioned in previous podcasts, we stressed the importance of human capital and created a human resource function. My mother, brothers, and sisters had difficulty understanding these changes because they continued to see the business through the lens of my father, which was their primary experience. An effective governance process helps separate the shareholder ownership from the day-to-day business activity, but continue to serve as the bridge between ownership and management. Another experience worth noting is when I came across a family business consultant shortly after I purchased the business interests from my brothers and sisters and my mother. John Ward had studied in his career 5,000 family businesses. He wanted to understand how many of them were successful at passing the business on to the third generation and beyond. As we well know, it was only about 5% that were successful. Then John did a deeper dive. He looked at those 5% that were successful and tried to understand what did they do that was in common, that set them apart, and that allowed them to be successful. There were several traits that he identified. One of the primary characteristics is that 90% of them had an independent outside board of directors. That was good evidence of one of the things you need to do if you want to be a multi-generational family business. When we engaged John to evaluate our family business, we already had a pretty well-established outside board of directors and governance process. When John came in to meet our board and watch how our board meetings were conducted, he was very impressed with our governance process and the quality of our independent directors, given the size of our family business. John's observations and comments further supported the importance of the governance process 
and the importance of investing as shareholders the time and energy that goes into building a good outside independent board of directors. Of family businesses that had successfully weathered many generations, 90% of them had an independent board of directors. This change was crucial to make if Richard and the family wanted Seaman Corporation to live on for many generations. The individuals who would be brought onto the board from other backgrounds and industries would help Richard take Seaman Corp to the next level. But just how would Richard find the right people and what requirements needed to be in place? Our original family business consultant, Leon Danko, provided me with important guidelines for selecting independent directors. His underlying recommendation was to identify someone who you otherwise would not be able to get their business advice. Oftentimes, your key managers are put on the board of directors. Well, the reality is that you are already paying for their advice and there's little more they can offer by simply being on your board. What additional advice are they going to bring to the governance level? You don't necessarily want your attorney nor your accountant on the board because once again, you are already paying for the advice. I mentioned to Leon that perhaps some of the members of my Young President's organization might be potential board members. Leon was familiar with that organization and said, You know, Dick, you've got your YPO forms. If you ever needed the advice of any one of them, you could just go ask them and they'd be more than happy to give you their advice. So when you start to think about who do you know that you otherwise would not be able to get their advice, you want to look for astute business people from whom you would like to have their advice and counsel. That gives you a good direction of where to look and I think allows you to get a much more productive and effective member to be a part of your board of directors. With this approach in mind, I just kept my eyes and ears open as I was networking through my regular business activities. Generally, I would have a chance to work with and observe a potential candidate for three or four years in my business or philanthropic activities. I would then approach them and ask if they might be interested in serving on our board. If they had an interest in doing so, they would come and evaluate the opportunity. I think most of them, when they saw how we were trying to professionalize our governance process, became interested. It wasn't a figurehead rubber stamp position. More importantly, I think they were enthused about our business, our products, and ultimately very enthused and supportive of our family. So over the course of the 10 years after my father passed away from 1978 to the late 80s, I was able to expand our board from the four insiders that we had when my father passed away to seven directors. The majority, five of those seven, were truly outside independent board members. Over the years, this outside board has made incredible contributions to the company. One of the main things that has to happen from the beginning of professionalizing your governance process is distinguishing between the role of the company shareholders the role of the board of directors, and the role of the management leadership. There's a very important concept that any business owner needs to understand right from the beginning. What are the different roles of a family shareholder of the business, of a member of the board of directors, and the governance process, 
and then the management or leadership team that is tasked with running the business on a day-to-day basis. You have the role of ownership, the role of governance, and the role of management. When entrepreneurs start their businesses, these three roles still exist. In the majority of cases, they are filled by the same people. The owner might be the CEO and be the chairman of the board. A brother or sister might have a job in the business and also be on the board. A senior manager might be asked to be on the board also. When you have that much overlap, it's difficult to have an objective separation of those responsibilities and the decisions that need to be made at these levels. Right from the very beginning, you really need to be sure that you understand what these separate, unique roles are. Family shareholders have the responsibility to elect an independent board in whom they have the confidence will provide good governance and good guidance to management leadership. The governance process has the responsibility for selecting and hiring the managers who are going to run the company, beginning with the CEO. The board is responsible for seeing that the managers run the business profitably and in alignment with the culture and philosophy expected by the shareholders. The board holds the leaders accountable for their responsibilities. Leadership has the responsibility to run the business successfully, to make the appropriate adjustments required by changing economic times and challenges that the business is always going to face. You have to have good leaders and managers to do this on a day-to-day basis. As you think about it, Shareholders are not immersed in the business on a day-to-day basis and will make a lot of mistakes if they try to make strategic decisions for the business itself. Family shareholders who elect capable board members to create a good governance process and that will provide oversight in both hiring management and holding management accountable will be the best way to achieve family business success particularly multi-generational family business success. One of the board members who has helped Seaman Corporation make these types of changes over the years is a guy by the name of Bill Finn. Bill has known Richard for about 40 years and has been a board member at Seaman for about 15 years. He brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to the Seaman board as an outside member. I was uh, CEO of a multinational manufacturing company, Aston Johnson. We we're based in South Carolina. And I met Dick um, through a YPO event uh, that was focusing on uh, manufacturing. And it was a time in the 90s, in the 80s, 80s and early 90s, when the Japanese were uh, really doing an incredible job in manufacturing. And a, a lot of us began to think about what are we doing? And what are they doing? Do we understand what they're doing? And i uh, that's how I met Dick uh, at, a, at a YPO event. There were a group of us that really took this seriously. And uh, so I've known Dick and seen Dick regularly since that time and always told him I didn't have time in those years. I was too busy building a company around the globe to join the Seaman board. And I eventually did and, and have been a part of that board. Uh, and uh, hopefully a good partner with Dick for for many years. I think uh, one of the mo- more important things about uh, my service with Seaman was the transition that Seaman went through and is still going through today from a family-oriented 
family-oriented and family-managed business to a more professionally managed business that has family values in it. And I think uh, one of the things that always attracted Dick to me was the fact that I ran a family business uh, that started in 1885 and had no family members in it. And for a while, uh, we had no uh, family members on the board. Uh, I would meet with the the uh, family annually. The family was scattered around the world, but I would meet with them in Europe once a year, talk about how the company was doing. And and uh, so, and I think for Dick, that was really important for not only Dick, but as Dick had seen other examples like this and other YPOers where they had outside people running their family businesses. But also I think uh, for Dick's family, uh, I can remember early on as we uh, thought about this, uh, some of Dick's family just couldn't understand how a family business could work without a family member. This must be impossible. And I think Dick is, undertook that to educate his family in a way that they feel very comfortable today, uh, being involved, leading uh, uh, with, a man- with a strong management team that's leading in the company today. Bill has been able to see the value in how an outside board has helped Richard protect the culture Seaman Corporation has become known for. Their culture is everything and permeates every single person and product within the company. And Bill's experience as a former CEO who had outside directors really helps him contribute as a board member now at Seaman Corporation. You know, one of the most important things, I think, about the selection of of, uh, outside directors is uh, will they be a good fit for the company? And that is, are, are they good people? Uh, Seaman has a great culture. And it's a culture, uh, you, you know, it, everyone at Seaman is a kind person. They're kind and they want to do right for the customer. And I think uh, you can't bring in board members that only want to focus on the finances for the company. You have to bring in board members that will focus on, are we doing the right thing? Uh, not just for the shareholders, not just for the uh, uh, financial health of the company, but are we doing the right thing strategically? We've got a board that's very personable. They are individuals that want to see this company grow and prosper, but they don't want to do it on the backs of our employees. That's not the way we're going to build a business. We're going to build it in a way that's positive for everyone that's engaging, that engages everyone that works in the company and uses their talents as well. When we come back, we will explore how an outside independent board has been able to serve the family of the family business better than they could have ever imagined. Established in 1949 and now headquartered in Wooster, Ohio, with additional manufacturing in Bristol, Tennessee, Seaman Corporation is known worldwide for the production of high-value, high-performance fabrics. Among some of the applications, Seaman Corporation fabrics are used for geomembrane liners, architectural structures, truck tarps, roofing membranes, and applications for the military and government. With the combination of a unique, puncture-resistant fabric construction with a commitment to superior customer service and satisfaction, Seaman Corporation fabrics exhibit incomparable product performance. 
Being a part of the Seaman team not only puts you on the forefront of industrial fabric innovation, but also affords some wonderful benefits, all housed within a family atmosphere. If this sounds like a place you need to be, visit SeamanCorp.com slash join dash our dash team. We've been talking with Richard Seaman and one of his long-term board members about the process that Seaman Corporation went through to professionalize their board. This new type of board would be the first line of defense for the family to help work out issues shareholders may have and not damage the effectiveness of the daily business in the process. The family's trust of an outside board was going to be a new adventure, but one that would lead to so much growth. One board member that joined Siemens' board of directors after this transition was a guy by the name of Bob Walton. Uh, my name is Bob Walton. I've been on the Siemens board now for 20 years. Um, I'm, I'm an independent board member. I met Dick Seaman back when I was the chief financial officer at the College of Worcester, and he was on the board of trustees. And after a few years, I think we found we had very light views, and I was CEO of a software company. I was CEO of a trade association. So I've worked for three different universities. The College of Worcester was one, uh, the Claremont Colleges, and then Vassar. Through those various experiences as both a CFO and a CEO, Dick and I found that maybe I'd be useful on the student board. Since I joined the board, for the past 12 years, I've been chair of the Leadership Development Committee. We do most of the recruitment, succession planning, and set payroll and bonus plans and evaluate the leadership of the CEO. I also basically took the lead with Dick on hiring the current CEO, which was a very interesting experience. But I think that the uh, I think that Dick does a good job in the book of describing the pilgrimage he went on, which was to try and, and determine, you know, what is the real use and value to a to a a family to have an external board? I mean, what what's the point of paying all these people to come in and takes a lot of time and effort, takes a lot of, you know, focus for the management team to come to these meetings and prep, to have all these people who are not actively in the business coming in and basically asking you all these questions that, you know, you don't really have time to answer in some cases, right? So the book does a good job, I think, of talking about the history of this and the benefits, and particularly for the Seaman Corporation. The fact that he had family, distant family that were not active in the business, who were frustrated with different things that were going on, the board was able to provide a very good gasket for the two pieces they didn't really rub each other the wrong way. It also kept the board focused on those kind of issues and kept the management team running the business, which I think is very, very important. So I think over time, we've seen that an independent board for Sumo Corporation, like many others I've worked with, has been very valuable, not so much in just the day-to-day running of the business in terms of, you know, how are the finances, how is the management team doing, but some of the shareholder expectations, um, setting setting the family dynamics right, and keeping the management team focused on running the business and not getting caught in what's essentially family politics. On more than one occasion, there were issues that were raised at the family level. Because my brothers and sisters and my mother embraced this idea of an outside board of directors, And because they had respect for the people that we had on the board, the board became the first level where these issues could be discussed and vetted. 
We were fortunate to have board members that were willing to step up and serve as intermediaries to listen to the issues of family shareholders and to help create potential solutions to resolve some of these particular issues. When you think about the fact that ultimately my brothers and sisters and my mother requested to be bought out of the business, one might think that you really weren't that successful. That would be one way to look at it. The other perspective is that because my family was interacting with an independent board, they weren't negotiating with just me or with senior managers in the business. The independent board was able to better guide my family into appropriate types of resolutions and options, and in this case, selling their business interests. So I would say that it was quite successful. Should a family member work in the business? What are the parameters around that? Again, an independent board can help develop appropriate family business policies. The family CEO will not have to make these decisions on his or her own. When it is family, there is always some subjectivity involved in these types of decisions. An outside board of directors can be very, very helpful. Consequently, when you select board members, you need to be sure that they are not only enthusiastic about your business, but that they also have an interest in your family and interact well with the family. It is very important for the board to build a trust relationship with the family shareholders. Both the Seaman family and Seaman Corporation are in a very different place today than they were many years ago before they professionalized their governance process. However, there have still been slight adjustments made to the board's governing process to ensure they are continually serving the best interest of the shareholders. About 10 years ago, as an independent board member, I asked the board and Dick and the family members define for me what their expectations of the business were as a family, because I'm representing them. I'm representing their interests. For example, if they wanted to sell the business, that's a very different thing than if they want to run the business multi-generational. The goals and objectives are quite different. So having served on 20 different boards in my career, I would say that each of those, there's not one set of expectations an independent board member takes. You have to understand the basic fundamentals of what it is the shareholders want out of that company. So we created something called the shareholders expectation document. And that guides us even today in terms of how we set goals for the management team, how we make investments for expansion, how we think about acquisitions. It all ultimately comes back to what what do the shareholders want out of this business? Overall, the board today has evolved into something very professional and extremely functional, but also an entity that is continually improving its processes. Bob talks about the role of the board and how they have been able to stay in their lane and help grow the company. And Richard continues to see the value of this change and how he wishes more businesses would take on the same approach. We've been doing it a long time. It's a very stable board, so we haven't got a lot of new board members. We have one new one that's joined in the last five years, I think. So that means we're we're all very familiar with each other. We're very, we're very not set in our ways, but more very nimble with the tools that we use so we're all very experienced with this so the board is really working with with the senior management to set the strategy for the company that's really what we do the the management brings us options and strategies we test those and probe those and we help them define what it is they would like Uh, clearly we've got family input into that in, in terms of some of the meetings that we have between the board and the family 
And then it's really the management's job to run the company. One of the things that I frequently say in board meetings is sometimes it'll be, it's, 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 there's a tendency to get in the weeds sometimes. Sometimes we'll be having a discussion and my response will be, we shouldn't be talking about this. This is not a, this is not a board issue. This is a management issue. Management should be doing this. So ultimately the board's responsibility is to hire the CEO and to make sure the CEO has got the resources and the appropriate motivation needed and then stay out of the way. And then it's up to us to then report to the the shareholders and be elected every three years by the shareholders to represent their interests. And so I think the student corporations done a good job of segmenting those. We do have reviews of the management team. We do succession planning. We also have quite a bit of input into the way we do bonuses and compensation for the management team to keep them motivated, but not over-motivated. And one of the challenges of a small private business or even a medium-sized private business is how do you provide for management that wants equity? Since we don't really have a have the ability to give stock. So one of the things that the uh, that the board needs to do and my committee focuses on is how do we compensate properly management, upper management in particular the CEO, but also upper management in general, when they don't have the ability to gain ownership of the company. And they don't, and so how, how how can we do that fairly? So we've worked out some very unique and good ways of doing that that's worked very well, and that makes us competitive in the marketplace as well in terms of seeking talent. In my experience with my business peers, even peers who have seen the value an outside board has provided our company, developing good governance is one area where they just fail to take the initiative. They adopt Lean Sigma. They may have a strong HR function. They do strategic planning. But most of them seem reluctant to build an independent board of directors. For our business, there's no question in my mind that where we are today is the direct result of having a robust governance process and attracting well-qualified candidates who serve as enthusiastic, engaged board members. As you've seen through this episode, the effective governance process is a massive undertaking for any business, and we have just scratched the surface. What role does the board play in the larger strategic planning process? How will succession planning for all the governance processes continue as generations go by? Join us next time as we conclude our conversation on governance where, for the first time in this series, we will also get to meet another member of the Seaman family. Until then, I am your host for this episode, Crystal Ribble. Thanks for joining me. This podcast is a small snippet of the great information housed inside of Richard Seaman's book, A Vibrant Vision, The Entrepreneurship of Multi-Generational Family Business. To have a vision of growing a small family business into a sustainable multi-million dollar business requires distinctive processes that support innovation, human capital development, strategic planning, and quality assurance in manufacturing and service. A Vibrant Vision shares the experiences of the author in his growing family business after his father passed away at a young age and building this industrial fabrics business into a multi-million dollar company, while at the same time encouraging his children and grandchildren to become stewards of this treasure we call a family business. To get your own copy of this book, visit Amazon.com.